0: In today's episode, I'm absolutely excited to be speaking to Rosaline Batul. She is a wealth hypnotist, multi-six-figure Muslim WLC. She not only wears the a hijab, but she actually wears the niqab. Yet, works with women and talks about such sensitive topics such as feminine, feminine energy, and sexual energy. Let's speak to uh, Rosaline and find out how she changed her life by changing her mindset. Let's find out. I'm your host, Girl Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Girl Khan, your money mindset expert. And today, I'm really, really, really excited. It's so a someone that I found on the internet myself. I saw, um, saw her, fell in love with her. And I thought, my gosh, I have to have her on my, on my podcast. So,
1: welcome, Rosalind Batu. Welcome, welcome. Woo-hoo! Thank you so much for having me on I'm Rosalind Batul, and I'm a wealth hypnotist I help female CEOs conquer burnout in less than an hour so that they can experience more pleasure purpose and profit in their lives Fantastic and that's how
0: I came across because we were a we friends on, on Facebook for quite some time and then I saw a give you a post and I thought my god you're such an interesting character and then I got, we exchanged some messages and I realized, oh my God, I have to speak to this lady. So Rosine, tell us how, I mean, you are, for those of you who are, w- are listening to this on the on the podcast who cannot see you, obviously if you're watching on YouTube, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. But uh, you're the only, the niqab wearing, not just hijab wearing, the hijab is wearing with scar- head scarf. You are niqab wearing, so you cover your face too and all we can see is your eyes. So you're the only niqab wearing, muslim woman that i know that talks about the con- kind of concepts that you do which is about feminine energy about sexual energy and i thought that was very very liberating so talk us through how did you come here and then for my conversations, you were you know you're you're born into a muslim family but you grew up agnostic and then you found your faith again and to the point where mm-hmm. you are now wearing the niqab so talk us through your journey you've
1: had a quite interesting journey how did you find okay. your faith and how did you end up now in Gambia? Okay, I love it. Um, so let me start with my faith, actually. So my mom was born a Muslim, but then when she had uh she left the religion and she decided to practice Christianity. So all my life, I grew up very, very spiritual. Okay, mm-hmm. we believed in something, but we didn't know what to call it. So we went to church. We were in Jehovah's Witness. I went through Hinduism. We went through um. Um, atheism as well and then we just decided to like okay I don't believe in one religion we just believe in spirituality mm. so we believe in a higher power and we leave everything to him and then when I uh, I was studying um, law at university I, I transferred from where I was in my hometown, I moved away from home and I ended up in Northampton. And then I came across some Muslim girls. And mind you, when I was a kid, I used to get bullied a lot by Muslim kids. So I used to hate, I'll be honest, I used to hate Islam. Islam mm. was the only religion I chose not to look into because simply because of the children that I grew mm. up with, that they were very like nasty towards me. So why when you, I got can to I, university- Can I can, can, can
0: ask you, why were they nasty? Did they think yeah. that you were not practicing Muslim? Is that
1: why they were nasty or they were nasty yeah. for some other reason? So there's two reasons. Um, because I didn't grow up with my dad. So they always ask me, where's your dad? And I was in a predominantly South Asian community. So having a father figure was very like, important. So I, all of my friends had uh, fathers around, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And secondly, is because they thought I was South Asian, but I'm not, I'm Persian. So no. they couldn't understand why I didn't practice Islam. I didn't mm-hmm. understand it. And I always say to them that I had this theory when I was a child that hell is on earth and heaven is when you die. So I always <laughs> say that to them. They're like, oh my God. You are not Muslim. I'm like, well, I, I'm not Muslim. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh wow, so I had that trauma. Mm. <laughs> I had that trauma growing up. So when I came, came to university, and mind you, I had Muslim friends, but they weren't practicing. So I used to think Islam was a culture, and I didn't right. think it was a religion. It was mm. really right because people used to like drink, you know, and um, like have boyfriend and girlfriend. But then when you yeah. come to Ramadan. They became holy. So I was like, it must be a culture. I've seen those as well.
0: No alcohol during rooms on. What? And no, we don't touch each other. I don't see my boyfriend. I don't see my girlfriend during rooms on. Wow. And then everything goes back to normal afterwards. Yeah. I've seen those examples. <laughs> I was
1: like, this must be a culture. This must be a culture. So when I went to university, when these girls came across, I came across these girls and they were like covered up and I was wearing a short dress. I was wearing a mini skirt. And I felt so embarrassed. I was like, they're going to ask me if I'm Muslim and I have to, I'm going to say yes because then they won't bully me. Cause I just thought they're going to come and bully me because I had that trauma when I was a child. Wow. So they, they were like, no, like, you know, how about you? They were like, salam alaykum. I was like, yeah, well, alaikum salam. They like, oh, are you Muslim? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm Muslim. And they're like, okay, I want to invite you around for dinner. I was like, okay, cool, great. So I went around for dinner and then I was like, why do you lay his cover? Why do you wear hijab? Like, mm. why do you cover yourself for men? I used to be a model. So I was like, you know, liberation is being able to wear whatever you want to wear. Mm. Like be free, be naked. And they looked at me, they were like, we don't cover for men, we cover for God. God mm. told us to cover ourselves and we obey him because we want God's pleasure. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And I can't I can't explain what happened, but it's like I had a pang of jealousy come over me. I was like, why, though? Like, I was just so jealous that they were so free in the mind.
0: Because when mm. they were
1: talking to me, they weren't being shackled by beauty standards. They yeah. weren't trying to fit in the ideal. I was trying to fit in. They weren't. So I was like, I'm so jealous of, that, of their confidence. So they pointed uh, to the ayah in the Quran about the hijab. So mm. I went away. I started studying it. And then I came across the hadith where when that ayah was revealed, the women tore their aprons and put it over their face. Hmm. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he remained okay. silent. So for me, that was just like a clear cut. That's a woman's interpretation to hijab, mm-hmm. not a man's. So and then I put my shahada there and then. Oh, I know the straight away. Oh. So I've been wearing yes, I've been wearing the cab since I was twenty-one. Oh I'm mashallah. 21. So that's, in my, go ahead. Uh, yeah, in, in my dorm, like I moved away to um, Northampton, and I wore the niqab. I I was away from my family. I lived in the dorm, so on campus, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna wear my niqab, and I came out wearing the niqab the next day. What a transformation!
0: It, it took one day for that to happen. I mean, that's just surprising. literally. Wow. wow. Okay, that's just <laughs> that's just divine. Was so only you working in its divine wisdom. Honestly, that's just amazing. I I'm I'm exactly. very very impressed, and I I, I mean. I mean, I mean, thinking about it, growing up, I, my mother was extremely, exceptionally religious, and she was very, very modest in her appearance. I've always been modest in my appearance. I've never actually worn anything beyond it. That's, because, but it was more to because that's all I knew, and that's how I was grew up with. Not because I did it for for religious purposes. And I remember when my mom passed away, I was so angry with God. I used to read Surah Yaseen and say to God, "This is not for me. I don't believe in you. But if you exist, give it, to, <laughs> give the swab to my mom." I mean, you do these stupid things. But anyway, I was 21 at the time. So, you know, whatever. And then eventually, I remember, eventually, I I found, um, you know, I found solace in, in, um, you know, that's another story for another time. But how I literally... coincidental i just found myself in a bookshop um and, you know while well, the 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 on um, it was it was friday it was friday day and uh, juma time and the sandwich bar i wanted to go to because i still had halal food so the sandwich i was waiting for they they had gone for juma so i was waiting for them to open and coincidentally there was a Islamic bookshop next to it found myself in there and i picked up um um a copy of uh of big doll's um um you know the translation of the quran and that was my journey so you know god calls yeah. you as as and when you do and then i ended up i, I don't really hijab now but at, at that point i did actually go down that route and i ended up being hijab at one point i wore it for the longest time i actually funny enough i took it off yeah. for my for my second husband which was which is a stupid thing to do but anyway <laughs> anyway um so and let's come back to you. So, so you, you, you became, you, you put on the niqab, which by the way, for those who don't know, how long ago was this? Because I,
1: I just want to put this into context. Nowadays is more common. But so when did you put the niqab on? How many years ago? About 12, 12 years ago. So this okay. was in the height of like, um, but there's so much racism and islamophobia that was yeah. going
0: around so because as well. the thing is and I, and I want to highlight that because since 2001 since the 9/11 um, happened islamophobia has has literally just increased and i remember facing racism in schools but I remember at that time because I had hijab around similar times. I remember when I would go on the tube, people would be looking to see if I am holding onto my bag and if I am doing anything, and it was ridiculous. Yeah. So I was a, I was a lawyer and I was dressed like a lawyer, like you know, with my suit and everything. But still, they would think see, oh, she's wearing hijab, so she maybe she's got something in her bag. So this is why I'm gonna say, I am going to say, I didn't, I didn't even have the niqab on. You have the niqab on, so you would have, you would have seen um, faced a, a lot. With a lot more severity, that's one of the point I'm trying to make up all right, so
1: but okay. then you you found a partner and you got married I take it yes, yeah, so um I got married after I reverted, I got married I think two months after um oh. we were in the same we i I studied law too so yeah as soon as i got as soon as I reverted, I was like, you know what? I want to get married because i don't i didn't believe in um uh, really even though i grew up like agnostic i didn't believe in like having relationships before marriage like i wanted mm-hmm. to you know keep myself pure so oh. i was like i need to get married like it only makes sense in my mind it was just, like i want to get married and my husband then back then alhamdulillah he was a student we were both studying law so we decided to get married and yeah I, it helped me I, I feel like it helped me with my deen a lot more as well just being married mm-hmm. i know a lot of women struggle as well. Not saying, not saying you have to get married when you when you um, become a like when you start go, going on the path to um, uh, inspiration and uh, and Allah, I mm-hmm. actually advise against it not to get married straight away. You find out who you are really. But for Agreed. Me, Agreed. I, I, like, I, I agree. I when I agree with that point. Yeah, you need to need to know who yeah, you are first. Yeah, and I, I wish like, a part of me wishes like I didn't get married, but part of me is so glad that I went through that journey. Like mm-hmm. I, I see both sides of it. So yeah. for me personally, I'm the type of person when I get an idea, I have to execute it. Like, mm-hmm. once I have an idea in my mind, I'm just like, okay, I want to get married, then go we'll get married. This is the type of person I am. But I would say, like, you don't have to do that. Like, find yourself first. But for me, well, going back to the Islamophobia point, actually, I got punched on the bus. Like, I, I lived in Northampton, right? So Northampton is predominantly white. I think it's only 10% uh, ethnic minorities and, mm-hmm. like, 1% are Muslim. So I right. lived in a predominantly white area who did not understand Islam. And I remember getting punched on the bus, like he busted my lip, it was so bad. um And even though that happened, like, why did you? Me, why? why, why like, how, how did that incident occur? Why would that incident occur? Why? It was just so weird. Like, he was he was passing me, and he started saying the p word, and I was like, I'm not the p word. I'm not p, right? You know. You know for those of you who don't, for, for, for those
0: yeah, for those of you who don't know, because we do have uh, international clients here, uh, listeners here. P in, in in UK, if you wanna to refer to South Asians, you call them Pakis, which uh, for yeah. those who are ignorant Paki really means it means pure (laughs) so when someone calls me Paki I'm like yeah I know it but Paki actually means pure anyway and it's an abbreviation (laughs) for Pakistan so Pakistan means pure land and that's where Paki comes from but um in in UK a Paki is used as a racism word and I remember I heard it quite a lot when I was growing up it used to irritate me now I just if nobody uses it anymore. that I think they're more PC right now politically correct but even if someone oh. does say, it, I don't get offended because Bucky means pure. But anyway, let me just right. <laughs> give a background to people about it. Absolutely. But yeah,
1: that's a piece. It's called a peace lover. Yeah. So they, they use that against you. Okay. So yeah, when I was on the bus, um, he just, I think he was mentally unwell anyway. So I was like, mm. whatever, but he was passing me and was like in my face. And I was like, the bus was crowded as well. So I was just like, I'm not the P word. Like, excuse me, like you're in my space and he just dumped me one in the face and I was I was so taken aback. I didn't realize he hit me until after he got off the bus. And I looked around. It was just quiet. I'm like, did, did you guys not see that? Like the guy just hit me in the face. But even though he did that, I didn't feel, I didn't feel angry towards him. I didn't feel like, oh my God, it's because of this. I just thought, you know what? It's meant to happen. It's part of my journey. It's not going to wow. change who I am. It's not going to Wow. anyway. we just carried on. Like, So this is the stuff that I went through in my journey of like, finding Islam, wearing the niqab, wearing the hijab. That's like being really firm in my faith. And you know what it is? I I, I, I give that to my mom. Now, when I used to get bullied in school, uh, my mom still would say to me, go back the next day. She'd be like, you're not taking a day off school. I don't care. Get up. You don't gonna let the bullies win. Don't let these bullies win. The bullies will win when you take a day off school. So get back, go back to school. They will not harm you. Mm-hmm. And every single time I went back to school, school the kid the bullies would just leave me alone they had nothing to say to me so I had I had that mentality of resilience for since I was five so for me getting punched in the the face on the bus wasn't a big deal I was just like okay it's cool I'm alive I'm fine I'm not going to allow it to affect me that's just the mindset I have
0: wow okay wow I mean that 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 alone (laughs) that story alone (laughs) deserves an episode on, on how on the mindset behind it but okay so let's move forward um, and then, how did you go? I mean, did you become a? Did you
1: finish your law degree? Did you become a lawyer? What happened with that? So I finished my law degree, but I decided not to carry on with law simply because of the fact, like, I don't understand it. <laughs> I never yeah. understood. This is one thing that I didn't understand about law. Like, if a if a thief enters your home and you harm him, he can sue you. Yeah. So for me. I was just like, this is not just. And I, my, one of my values is justice. Like, mm. I really am a very, I like being fair. And I like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So when I heard that, I was just like, yeah, no, I don't want to do it. Like, I didn't want to study. I didn't want to practice and do my bar. So instead, what I did is I studied um, the SELTA and I became a teacher of okay. um, non English. So I thought, you know what, let me, I still want to teach in some way. I still want to educate in some way. Because my goal was to become a human rights lawyer. Right. That was my goal a human rights lawyer and I also wrote a dissertation about how the banning of the niqab was a breach of human rights and there's really good dissertation that I did at at, a university but even so I was just like let me just do teaching I find myself a better teacher than I could be a lawyer i would probably just fight people if I was a lawyer (laughs) like
0: physically (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness all right okay so then how does a teacher um become uh, a wealth hypnotist so that what how did you end up
1: from there to here that's just a completely different world altogether <laughs> right so um okay so money ever since I was a little kid even though we grew up in poverty I wouldn't say we were broke although like my mom left my dad we were homeless until I was 14 we didn't really have a home we were like Back and forth from refugees, we all slept on like one mattress on the floor, no carpets. That's the kind of lifestyle I live. No carpets, no wallpaper. It was just like a bare home, just food to eat, and that's it. So even though I was living that kind of lifestyle, my mom never raised me to believe that we're poor. That's just okay. a my mom is me books. So the first book I ever read, she actually gifted to me on on my 14th birthday, was The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. Oh wow! And book, my, my mom was my mom trained me to read. She actually used to. And um, give me the dictionary, and give me a few words, and tell me to write sentences with big words. So I've been like, mom was like, my mom used to tell me be intellectual. Like mm. the goal is to be intellectual and be intelligent, emotionally intelligent. So I've been reading since since I was five or six. I was reading like big series, like encyclopedias. Do you remember Britannia? The Britannia yeah, yeah, we the, yeah we had it. Oh, we had that <laughs> oh, I love that book. I still have it to this day. Oh my gosh, I used to. Go into a world. It was just like escaping in those books. So when I was 14, my mom gave me that book. I still have the book. And I was like so astounded by the way millionaires think. They don't think in deficit. They don't say I can't afford it. They don't, they think big. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my
0: mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com.
1: See you inside the workshop. I've always, always had this mentality of thinking big. And even when I was younger, I remember saying to my mom mom i'm going to be a millionaire that's it that's my goal to be a millionaire i had the concept even though i was poor like we were living in poverty my concept was thinking big i want to be rich i want a private jet i want a private island i want to be a millionaire that's it that's who i want to be Hmm. so uh, taking that from the teaching when i was teaching my mom passed away unfortunately and i was i was like in saudi she Hmm. was uh, in the uk so i wasn't there when she passed away but the saddest thing was that after i buried her a week later they fired me for my job because I took time off in Saudi. It was so yeah, girl, it was horrendous. You were so you, you, Saudi- you 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 working in Saudi at the time? Yeah, I was working in Saudi as a teacher, as okay. an English teacher. Okay. So I took time off and then I came back. Obviously I'm still grieving. And I think I took like a few days off. And in Saudi, if you work there, if anyone who's worked in Saudi is a teacher, you are only allowed three days off in the whole year for like, illness, bereavement, yes or whatever. The three days off in the whole year. And um, So that was basically what I had to face, and then a week later, I got given the email that they don't need me anymore, and I was pregnant with my third child. I was three months pregnant, so I was going through all of that, and I, and it just it sparked something within me that no one really cares about you if you don't care about yourself. Like I get, even though in my in my heart I was so angry because I had given up time to spend with my mom because I was teaching, so I was like, I can't, I couldn't go back to the UK. They wouldn't allow me to leave. Like you have to get a I forgot what it's called, but you have to get consent to leave. So they wouldn't give me that. And I was just so angry. I had so much frustration towards it. But I realized, you know what? It's not, it's not, it's not their fault, it's my fault. I have to take responsibility for it. Not in the sense of blaming myself, but I have to take accountability in the sense of like I chose to go to Saudi. I wanted to live my dreams. And yeah, I ha- in the end, I had to sacrifice. That's the way I saw it, I had to sacrifice something in my in my attachments to the dunya. And that was my mom. And unfortunately, even though she was, even though she died when I wasn't there, we had such a great relationship Mm -hmm. and nothing can take that away no matter how how angry I was. So I got sacked, got fired, came back to the UK. I had nowhere to live. I had three kids. I was heavily pregnant and I was just like, okay. Was 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 it partner with you at the time? No, uh, we were going through a divorce then. So he wanted to stay in so Saudi.
0: So you were going you were going to have your third child and you came back without a partner and you're going through a divorce at yeah. the same time. Wow. Okay, that's a lot of um,
1: emotional trauma all at once while being pregnant as well. Yes, yeah, it's huge. Like I really don't, I don't remember my third pregnancy at all. I literally don't remember. It. It's a blur. I can't remember it. I can't even remember the labor. All I remember was that I was in the water at the hospital and I gave birth in the pool and that's it. But yeah, I I went through all of that without um, a partner. I was by myself. I had my friends, so I had two of my best friends. They were amazing. They really like helped helped me. They they supported me emotionally as much as they could. But for me personally, I was like, how did I get here? Like the way I am, I believe everything is a result. Actions like cause and effect, right? So what happened?" Like the way I looked at it is like, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? What steps did I not take? And I realized that I wasn't living my, my true, authentic life. I wasn't being mm. really myself. Mm. I was in a relationship that was not me. Like, mashallah, the guy is is good. He, he's a lawyer. He's amazing. He's, he's, he's uh, the father of my three children. But it wasn't me. We weren't compatible. But I was forcing myself to stay in a relationship where I wasn't compatible with a guy, right? Mm. And then secondly, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I really wanted to be a millionaire and I, I I never saw myself making a lot of money in a 95 job. Anything. No, no, Sorry. no one does. No, no one does that, no, darling. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying to myself, I want to be rich, but then I'm giving my time to an employer who doesn't care about me. And I'm just living this rat race, lying to myself, really what it was. I realized I had been lying to myself for many years and that's when it clicked. I was like, oh my God, like, who I really am is a person who loves to talk about money, who loves to help people. I can like, I can easily help heal people, like the way they think about themselves in, in like an hour. I'm very good at that. But I was denying myself. I was denying my gifts. So it's when I started owning my gift of who I am, that's when I became a wealth hypnotist and started helping people become rich and heal from childhood traumas as well. But did you go through some sort of training, or did you, do, or do you just
0: realize you have those gifts? Because so, so obviously you have to work out how to help people. And 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 yeah. in my, if I think about my own journey, I I do energy healing and energy clearings. But I had no idea what energy clearing, and energy healing was until I went exactly. down, the, the, down the rabbit hole. And, and by the way, before I got here, I went through all sorts of modalities. I did NLP and I did EFT and then I did uh, intuitive life coaching. And there were so many things I did until I got to this point where I thought, okay, this is who I am. And that's how I help my clients. So there has
1: to be a journey which unfolds your inner gifts as well. So can you talk us through how you found your gifts? Yeah, so um, I studied NLP when I was 18, actually. I oh. studied CBT, uh, yeah, NLP when I was 18. 19, I studied Ono. So I had all these modalities from when I was young, but I forgot about them because I became a Muslim and I thought, okay, let me just be a wife, a mother, and maybe become a teacher. So I really like shifted my identity to believe that being a Muslim woman meant like I couldn't have dreams. That's what okay. happened to me. Ah. But my mind, I was like, because I'm a Muslim woman... I have to give up my dreams Mm. and I just have to be a good wife, a good mom, and be a good citizen for my children and, like, Mm. you know, let them be, let them live through, live vicariously through your children. Yeah. Exactly. So when I, that's the lie that I was living. Like, yeah. I can't, for me personally, it was like, how dare I put that pressure on my children? Like, oh, that's horrible. It's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. I had all these dreams for myself, like he's gonna be an engineer and all this stuff. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on with me?" Mm-hmm. So yeah, I studied NLP, CBT, Hope Ono. I'm actually Polynesian, so hope Pono comes from my my culture. I'm Persian mm-hmm. Polynesian. My dad's side is Polynesian, my mom's side is Persian. Mm-hmm. So this, like, all this intuitive stuff comes from my dad's side. They're very spiritual. So when I learned this, I was like, "Oh my god, this is part of who I am." And um, I studied hypnotherapy as well. That's the four modalities that I studied. But then what I did is I kind of like put the them all together and I was like I already know what to do I'm very intuitive when someone talks to me I can understand what's going on in their subconscious mind I, I pick out words I, I'm very good at um, looking at someone's aura and seeing what what what's stuck in their energy field I'm mm. very good at that so for me it was just like I don't need to learn this stuff I already know it but it just um sparked when I studied hypnotherapy it just sparked the chair I was like oh my god I already know this mm. oh yeah I studied LLP I already studied CBT I already studied Ho- I know all this stuff Like, girl, put it to use. Let's get going. That's what literally what happened. I was like, Rose, you know everything. You know what to do. All you have to do, yeah, make a video, share on Instagram, and just keep going. So that's basically what happened in my journey. Uh, the, The quick question here, then, how did you, you know, open up and have the
0: confidence to talk about sexual energy and feminine energy online as well? Because that's what really struck me about you was... Here I am and I have difficulty talking about sexual energy and I do talk about it in, in my, my workshops, but generally I stay clear of that topic too because I'm not comfortable talking about it on the online space. And I know how important it is, but I, I talk about a feminine energy, but I would never talk about sexual energy. Do you see what I mean? It's not a really? it's a topic that even, even me, who's the ultra com, uh, confident um, individual talks about very openly. I will in mm. on a one-to-one basis, but not on, on an online platform. And But I saw you, you talk about it so openly and with, with such uh, authenticity, it really struck a chord with me. And that's hence when I first reached out to you. Where did you study that or how did you become aware of that? And how did you get the confidence to be able to speak about it with the niqab, with the hijab, which I think is just so liberating because most people, when they look at a woman with hijab, forget niqab. Right, because if you're not in the niqab, you're, you're, you're definitely oppressed. You can't possibly talk about sex, right? You can't possibly talk about sex. You can't even think about sex, let alone talk about it. Um, And then that's for women who Women in the garb, You know, you must be really oppressed. So when I see you so openly taking your power and discussing these topics, which should be discussed, how, I mean, it's just, I want to know what the how did your mind work and how did you have the confidence to do that and so, so openly and so confidently and so... Um, how do I say this without sounding vulgar that's very very important Mm -hmm. there was nothing vulgar there it was very authentic and very real and very raw at times
1: and sharing your own pain of what traumas you went through and how you overcame and how you help your clients so talk us through that yeah so um I was sexually abused when I was young so I understand the shame that comes up when we think about sex and pleasure Mm -hmm. and I know so many like I've I've worked with over like 400 women I probably conducted more um, abundance rewiring sessions than that. And mm-hmm. the main thing that comes up for women is um sexual trauma. There's, mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of clients that I work with that all have sexual trauma in some form or way and it's affecting the way they receive money, the way yeah. they um communicate, the way they're able to, to attract better partners or have a better relationship. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women that I work with that like, literally have never experienced an orgasm. I, I find that shocking. Because mm-hmm. like, when I got remarried my, my husband's amazing and because I had to heal a lot of things within me and I realized one of the biggest things that I had was shame around sexual energy mm-hmm. I just thought that um women with high sex drives women who are ambitious women who um you know the ambitions they have high sex drive and high achievers they should be ashamed of that part of their lives because all my clients have that feeling like you know they have a high sex drive They've never experienced an orgasm. Like they really want to have a more intimate relationship with their husband. And it's so crazy, right? People, like when I when clients hire me, they hire me for maybe procrastination. But then it ends up all of my all my sessions end up healing the sexual energy. All of them mm. It's really like mind blowing for me. So I realized it's not it may be procrastination. It may be hustling. But there's something going on within you that is attached to your sexual energy. That's also and um, creating shame. And as women, our feminine energy is to receive as much abundance as possible. Yep. That's why we're able to create life in our womb, right? Mm. So when our womb is covered in shame, when our uh, when we think about pleasure in such a bad way, like we can't play, we can't take care of ourselves. It's selfish if I put myself first. These are all little micro um, shifts in our energy that's creating the shame around sex and pleasure. Mm.
0: And and, I, and I'm I'm saying. Um... As I was, as you were saying this, I was I was going back to you know when I talk about this, especially when I first started talking about sexual energy. You know, they're, they're, I talk about this and, you know, quite intensely in my mastermind where you know we and you can't you cannot possibly um, receive money if you had sexual trauma. The reason being is if you, you'll be you'll be a bad at saving. So Why module savings is all about sexual and sexual traumas that end actually. So that's all about humiliation. So if you've been humiliated, especially through sexual trauma, then you will accumulate debt. And if you've had um, again, if you began to flip the switch, as I say, you know, you you internalize unsafe as being the new safe then you will never allow yourself to have saving because savings is just a form of uh, financial security when you get become an adult so these are so important um, when we talk about savings and debt but even more so because the, the amount of money you're going to allow yourself the amount of abundance you're going to allow yourself in not just in financially but in relationships too is dependent on what's what you think is normal for you and if you've been through any kind of sexual trauma or you won't be able to and i know this because this is a topic that we don't talk about very often at all especially you not know, as Muslim women we that's not a topic that we should be discussing because god forbid Muslim women should have sexual desires and this oh is god. quite uh, yeah honestly god forbid you know we should have sexual desires and then on top of that it's funny how people see I'm glad you just said this If we, females who are very because men who are supposed to be seen as you know very ambitious and the alpha male they have they're known to have high testosterone and really high sex drive well why isn't the same true for females who are very ambitious? Because females who are very ambitious or alpha females, they tend to have very high libidos and very high sex drives. They may be able to, you know, they may not sleep around. And they may be able to, you know, um, control themselves. But it doesn't mean they don't have sex drive. But we just assume that they're just nuns and they, they want to be celibate and and they, you know, all the all the thing about is money and and their career. That's actually not the case. And being able mm-hmm. to own that and be uh, and accept that. It's a very liberating new age thought because normally when you think of Muslim women, no, we only you know, we're only supposed to have sex to have children. What 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 where did that come from? Right. Where
1: did that come from? Right. It's shocking because even when I read the Quran and Allah refers to the wife as a garden. He tells yeah. the men, Go to your garden. What happens yeah. when you water your garden? It just it just you fertilize your garden. And you make the woman happy and when the woman's happy and more abundance comes into her life. And like, this goes back to the point that like, when, when I was uh, just being a wife and a mother, I was ignoring my mm-hmm. um, high achieving, high ambitious drive. And it's crazy. Like you mentioned about debt and savings. I've never been in debt. Even though mm-hmm. I've been through sexual abuse, I've, I've always had savings. Why? I didn't realize this. When I was younger, um, I was in like three sales jobs. I had a very high ambitious goal. But I, I didn't realize I was using my sexual energy to help me get to those places. So I was the top salesperson in, in my team. Um, mm-hmm. I was making a ton of money, more than like my friends. Um, and I, I paid for university as well. I never got like student loans. And I did all that myself, coming from a single parent home and coming from poverty. So I used sexual energy. I didn't realize that I learned about it through Napoleon Hill that mm-hmm. I used to have a very high sex drive. I didn't realize that. So I was just using it. Obviously, I, I didn't have a boyfriend. I was just using that to make money. Transmuting, so
0: transmuting sexual energy into wow. uh, in yeah that happens and and that's a very powerful technique yeah I, I i agree but it's interesting to say that but i mean more so i think i found it very liberating to see uh, a you know a woman muslim woman who's a practicing muslim woman who wears a niqab who's open to discussing these in so-called awkward conversations and allowing other other women, not just Muslim women, but just women in general, to come forward and accept their and own their sexuality. Because I think this is a very, very important topic. Uh, and too far too often, we as women, and, and by the way, women, anyone, woman over forty, God, you shouldn't even think about sex. You know, you're older now. Where does oh that gosh. come from? Again, that's the, these that the, these ridiculous things that come through is is just mind boggling um in especially i'm talking about the south when i say this i'm talking about the south asian culture um and so that's because that's where i come from so this is in my culture which includes india pakistan bangladesh you know all of those regions and it's it's interesting to see how we are developing the you know the collective consciousness and coming forward and including muslim coming forward and breaking those taboos and breaking these barriers which is Amazing. So hats off to you, Rosalina. Uh, Honestly, you're amazing. And I think you're doing an amazing job. So on this note, we're going to wrap this up. We have to have you back, um, Rosalina. We have to have a conversation with you on Money Talkies. But for now, tell everybody, where
1: can we connect with you? How can you find you on the internet? Okay, perfect. So you can find me on Instagram, Rosalind Batool. That's where I'm most active. Um, and right now I have one-on-one sessions and I have a group program, Sacred Feminine Pleasure, that is all about harnessing your sexual energy and reawakening your femininity. Our next round starts on in January, 21st of January. So if you want more information, you can just send me a DM on Instagram.
0: Um, and if you are listening to us on the podcast, and then the the link to a uh, Rosalind's IG account, and even to her program, she has a link for it. We will share that with you on the show notes. And if you're watching on the down below, in the description section, we'll, we'll have uh, all the links to her as well. Even if you're watching this after January of 2023, remember the links will be there and you can join um um the next round or whatever or whatever the, uh, she's doing on DM of her to find out how she can best support you. I think definitely if you if you feel that you are stuck in some area of your life, she's definitely the girl to go to. Thank you so much, Rosalina, for being such an amazing guest. We're going to have you back on Online Talkies, but today it's been such an interesting conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, darling.
0: And thank you for listening to me and Rosalind today on Friday Feature. We will join you again with another amazing guest, finding out how you and I can build a better business and learn from them and, and find out how they change their life by changing their mindset. Until the next time we meet, this is Gurkhan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website,